Hello and welcome back to the Study Room Podcast, where we bring you just one topic of revision every couple of months or so, whenever an exam is up. Uh, today we're covering schizophrenia, the wonderful topic thereof, and uh, let's jump right in. Okay, so we're going to start off with drug therapies uh, of schizophrenia. Now, they're effective in treating the most disturbing forms of psychotic illness, um, and for schizophrenia, they're antipsychotic. So they work by reducing the action of neurotransmitters of dopamine in areas of the brain associated with the symptoms. Now, there's typical and atypical um, antipsychotics, and they both uh, affect by um, kind of affecting the amount of dopamine within the brain. Now, typical antipsychotics are dopamine antagonists, uh, so that they bind uh, to the D2 dopamine receptors, but do not stimulate it. Um, so these are particularly receptors in the mesolimbic dopamine pathway, don't need to know this, but it's okay, and blocking their action. So this re reduces stimulation, eliminating um, the hallucinations and delusions experienced by people with schizophrenia. Uh, their and typical antipsychotics are effective in reducing positive symptoms. Now, uh, within a few days, um, within beginning medication, hallucinations and delusions diminish. This is usually two to three days. A uh, study to back this up is Kapoor et al. Uh, K-A-P-U-R et al. 2000 estimated that between 60 and 75% of D2 receptors in the mesolimbic pathway must be blocked for these drugs to be effective. Now, unfortunately, um, a similar number of D2 receptors in other areas of the brain must also be blocked. This causes side effects, such as tardive dyskinesia, which is involuntary neurological movement disorder. Uh, this problem has been addressed by the development of atypical antipsychotic drugs. This brings us handy into atypical antipsychotic drugs. Now, the main difference uh, to the first uh, Kind of the to typical antipsychotics is that they have lower risk of side effects and a beneficial effect on negative symptoms as well as positive and cognitive impairment uh, are suitable for treatment resistant patients. They also act uh, by blocking uh, D2 dopamine receptors. Uh, however, they only do this temporarily. So they occupy the D2 receptors, they latch on, they rapidly dissociate to allow normal dopamine transition. So again, this decreases uh, side effects, and this is called rapid dissociation, characteristic of atypical antipsychotics. Lower levels of side effects found with these drugs compared to conventional antipsychotics, and very little effect on the dopamine system that controls movement. So tardive dyskinesia, not that much of an issue. Uh, they tend not to cause movement problems found with typical antipsychotics. Atypical antipsychotics have a stronger affinity for serotonin receptors. Um, and a lower affinity for D2 receptors, which, um, you know, uh, um, typical antipsychotics block. So its characteristic explains the different effects of atypical compared to typical antipsychotics. Now, let's just kind of review, let's consolidate our knowledge a bit on this. So typical antipsychotics, they bind to dopamine D2 receptors, don't stimulate them. Uh, and what are the examples of these drugs? Well, this is uh, chlorpro mazine. Chlorpromazine is typical. I'll repeat that again. Chlorpromazine is typical antipsychotic. Uh, just, this is when you listen in the morning, that word sticks in your mind. 
So the drug significantly reduces positive symptoms, such as hallucinations and delusions. Side effects caused is tardive dyskinesia. Atypical antipsychotics bind to D2 receptors, but rapidly dissociate from them, allowing normal dopamine transition, particularly in the, in the movement centers. Uh, an example of the drug is clozapine. Clozapine. I feel like I'm on, I'm on jeopardy at the moment. Uh, you know, what, what does one call a drug with, uh, you know, atypical antipsychotic? Clozapine is the answer. Both positive and negative symptoms of schizophrenia is what it significantly reduces, decreases depression and anxiety, and increases cognitive functioning. However, one side effect of this is uh, weight gain. Okay, so this got enough, uh, gotten us off on the AO1. Let's hit the AO3, is uh, evaluating um, drug therapies. So, what's the issue? Time. It requires a lot of effort on part of the patient. Uh, it can be done through tablet or injection form, but if people start seeing results um, quickly, uh, it, less time than with CBT, it actually kind of, um, kind of helps because um, hallucinations and delusions disappear within a few days of beginning medication. Quick improvements may encourage them to pursue further treatment. So, time is a good thing. Effectiveness is highly effective. Louche L-E-U-C-H-E, did a meta-analysis of 6,000 patients, of which um, they were given a placebo, uh, and they found that within 12 months, 64% relapsed and 71% stayed. Um, yeah, okay, do with that information what you want. Um, yeah, okay, sorry, the placebo, 64% relapsed, not placebo, 71% stayed. Okay, it's highly effective in reducing symptoms, and um, it means that you're able to go back to normal life. However, it treats symptoms and not the cause. When drugs stop, relapse of the symptoms may occur. CBT may be uh, more longer lasting. What about the appropriateness? Well, it treats biological causes. Schizophrenia may be, uh, may be due to contradictory messaging from parents and not due to dopamine levels. Uh, the biological treatments may not be appropriate for children, addicts, or again, because of contradictory messaging, uh, decreases um, right, the, the appropriateness of schizophrenia. Relapse is that, again, it treats patients, uh, sorry, treats symptoms and not the cause. Lucia's meta-analysis uh, might be best to use them with uh, a pairing of CBT. This is also another finding of Lucia's study. Um, side effects, tardive dyskinesia in typical uh, antipsychotics may cause involuntary movements, may cause patients to stop taking drugs due to the side effects that are incurred. Um, okay, now we briefly kind of touched on, um, you know, uh, contradictory messaging, but this brings us perfectly into our next part of schizophrenia, which is psychological explanations of schizophrenia. I'm just checking if this is in our reduced content handbook. Yes, it is. Okay, so... Explanations based on family dysfunction claim that schizophrenia is caused by abnormal patterns of communication. Uh, however, cognitive uh, explanations emphasize the role of dysfunctional thought processing, particularly in those displaying positive symptoms such as delusions and uh, such. Okay, so let's talk about family dysfunction, so psychological explanations. Um, now, there's firstly the double bind theory. Now, Bateson um, you know, like Bateman, but Bateson, suggested that children who frequently receive contradictory messages from their parents are more likely to develop schizophrenia. The child, um, you know, receives contradictory messaging about their relationship on different communication levels. For example, mother tells the son that they love them, and then at the same 
time, you know, uh, gets angry or turns ahead in disgust or something like this. So, um, again, two different uh, uh, communication levels, one uh, of affection on the verbal level and one of animosity on the nonverbal level. Um, again, the child's ability to respond is incapacitated by such contradictions. Uh, and these interactions prevent the development on an internal coherent construction of reality uh, in the long run, this manifests itself as schizophrenic symptoms, for example, flattened effect and withdraw. Uh, so again, this means they're unable to respond and can't create a, like a, it leads to an incoherent internal construction of reality. So these are mainly negative symptoms. Now, that's the double bind theory. Um, what are the uh, expressed emotions theory? Now, uh, another variable within the family is that schizophrenia is a negative emotional climate uh, that causes it, and a high degree of expressed emotions, or EE, as it's uh, quickly referred to. Now, um, when a family of the schizophrenic patient talk about the patient in a critical or hostile manner, uh, or in a way that indicates emotional over-involvement, over-bearingness, over-concern with the patient or their behavior, um, there's a study Kuipers, K-U-I-P-E-R-S, at AL found that high EE relatives talk more and listen less. High levels of EE are most likely to influence relapse rates uh, and an increase in symptoms. A patient returning to a family with high emotional involvement is four times more likely to relapse than a patient with low emotional involvement. Suggests that schizophrenics have a lower tolerance for intense emotional environmental stimuli. Intense emotional comments and interactions with family members, and uh, again, this this high emotional climate leads to a stress that's uh, above the actual coping mechanism of the schizophrenic patients, triggering a schizophrenic episode. However, a family that's relatively supportive emotionally and uh, you know, undemanding may help a person and reduce their dependence on antipsychotic medication to help reduce their symptoms. Uh, of relapse. Now, let's talk about cognitive explanations on the other sense. There's the family theory, uh, or psychological explanations. Uh, what about the cognitive? Now, um, essentially research has shown that evidence of dysfunctional thought processing in people with schizophrenia, i.e. they process information differently to those with that disorder. Now, the cognitive explanation of delusions and hallucinations is what we'll be looking at. Explanation of delusions is that um, you know critical characteristic of delusional thinking. If um, you know the degree to which the individual perceives themselves as a central component in events, egocentric bias, and jumps to conclusions about this. So again, it's different interpretations of the environment uh, around an inadequate thought processing. So egocentric bias, everything uh, is because of them. For example, muffled voices are, are interpreted as people criticizing them, or flashes of light from a car seen to be a signal from God. But delusions, um, delusion is schizophrenic, are relatively impervious to reality testing. Again, the patients are unwilling or unable to consider that they may be wrong. They consider that they, they are considered to have impaired insight. Impaired insight is the key word. Uh, or inability to recognize the cognitive distortions or substitute more realistic explanation of the events. So again, they, they uh, aren't willing to accept or aren't aware that the things that are happening around them aren't directly affecting them or, you know, it's not uh, 
all about them, right? Again, people are talking about them or things like this. Now, cognitive explanations are hallucinations. Now, hallucinating individuals focus excessively attention on auditory stimuli. This dysfunction disrupts the patient's ability to recognize their own thoughts as their own. Now, study uh, Ailman suggests that hallucination-prone individuals find it difficult to distinguish between imagery and sensory-based perceptions. Uh, for these individuals, the inner representation of an idea, so for example, what other people think of me, can override the actual sensory stimulus and produce an auditory image. For example, a voice, he's not a good person, something like this. Um, these errors are not corrected by disconfirming evidence because patients with schizophrenia do not go through the same process of reality testing, such as checking external sources that others would do. Um, yes, how uh, phenomenological. All right, um, now we shall be moving on. Uh, some evaluations, perhaps. Um, now, okay. The importance of family relationships in the, the development of schizophrenia can be seen in the adoption of a study by Tianeri et al. 1994. The study uh, adopted children who had schizophrenic biological parents were more likely to become ill themselves than those children with non-schizophrenic biology parents. Now, this might see that um, it might be due to biological factors. Now, Berger et al. Um, 1965 found the schizophrenics reported high recall of double-blind statements by their mothers and non-schizophrenics. However, this evidence may not be reliable as patients recall may be affected by their schizophrenia. Um, yes. All right, all right, all right. We are moving on swiftly. Um, okay, one strength of cognitive explanations uh, of delusions is that the theory is supported by the successful development of CBTP in the treatment of schizophrenia. Supporting the claim that schizophrenia is due to family uh, to faulty cognition. In CBTP, patients are encouraged to evaluate the content of their delusions and consider ways they may test their faulty beliefs. A NICE 2014 review uh, con found consistent evidence that when compared to treatment of antipsychotic drugs, CBTP was more effective in reducing symptom severity. This reinforces the claim that schizophrenic, uh, that schizophrenia may have their origin in faulty cognitions. Now, the successful development of CBTP has led to the effective treatment of individuals with schizophrenia, increasing productivity in the economy, increasing productive capacity in the economy, better for, you know, uh, welfare, things like that, hypothetically, but we know the economy is screwed because we live under the capitalist means of production, but yes, we shall move on. One limitation of cognitive explanation of hallucinations, cognitive reductionism. It overlooks biological and environmental factors. Uh, this is limitation of validity, and a complete explanation might need to follow an interactionist approach. Explaining hallucinations and delusions as due to difficulties distinguishing imaginary from uh, actual sensory perception ignores biochemical factors. Early vulnerability factors, genes, birth, complications, uh, plus presence of social stressors like social adversity increase the sensitivity of the dopamine system. Increased levels of dopamine result in paranoia and hallucinations, causing further stress and more dopamine being released. Now let's look at psychological treatments of schizophrenia, uh, CBTP being that mainly. Uh, yeah. All right. So CBTP 
Uh, how does it work? Well, there's different ways. Um, now, firstly, it works along the lines of CBT. Uh, so the Ellis's A, B, C, D, E, E, F model. And, um, but it has a few couple of steps. So the assumptions of CBTP is that, you know, it's false cognitions, negative view of the self, negative view of the world, negative view of others, uh, you know, Beck's negative triad. Um, but yes, so firstly, assessment. The patient expresses his or her thoughts about the experiences to the therapist. Realistic goals for the therapy are discussed, using the patient's current distress as a motivation for change. Now, um, engagement is that the therapist empath empathizes with the patient's perspective and their feelings of distress, just, and the stresses that the explanation for the distress can be developed together. The ABC model, the patient gives an explanation for their activating events that appear to cause the emotional and behavioral consequences. Uh, the patient's own beliefs, which are actually the cause of C, can be rationalized, disputed, and changed. Again, logical, empirical, uh, uh, disputing. Normalization information that may many people experience their symptoms helps the patient feel less isolated. Critical collaborative analysis. The therapists use gentle questioning to help the patient understand illogical deductions and conclusions. Developing alternative explanations. The patient develops their own alternative explanations for their previously unhealthy assumptions. These healthier explanations might have been temporarily weakened by the dysfunctional thinking patterns. If the patient is not forthcoming with alternative explanations, new ideas can be constructed in cooperation with the therapist. Now, the basic assumption of CBTP is that people with schizophrenia often have distorted beliefs, which influence the way uh, their feelings and behaviors in maladaptive ways. For example, a patient may believe that their behavior is controlled by someone else. Um, in CBTP, schizophrenic patients are encouraged to trace back the origins uh, of the symptoms. Again, all, all the uh, points that we did discuss. Um, yeah, so, um, all right, we are moving on to the evaluation. Time. It's a lengthy period. Uh, time and commitment to the patient is required on this. Now, the evidence is that 16 sessions is usually required to see uh, any real uh, change in the uh, Symptoms and drug treatments may be more effective in the short run. Uh, patients may also lose motivation for therapy if they don't see results quickly enough. Effectiveness, the NICE 2014 review found that CBTP is effective in reducing symptom severity and evidence of improvements in social functioning. Shows the benefits of CBTP in normal functioning. However, many studies conducted when CBT was paired with drug treatments. Now, effectiveness of CBTP depends on the stage of the disorder as Addington 2005 claim that within the acute schizophrenia uh, phase, self-reflection may not be appropriate. It's more effective when made available at specific stages. Now, the appropriateness is further affected by the lack of availability of CBTP. Only one in 10, ten uh, schizophrenic patients in the UK have access to CBTP. Now, relapse the NICE 2014 review of CBTP found the effective in reducing rehospitalization rates up to 18 months after treatment compared to standard care. Standard care referring to uh, antipsychotic drugs. Now this, this further helps schizophrenic patients because it's actually cheaper in the long run to have CBTP because um, in the UK 
we have the NHS, Baruch Hashem, but in the U.S. it's incredibly expensive uh, to um, go to the hospital. So uh, this eases the burden not only on the patient, but on the family to uh, have care. Now, keeping this whole therapy, shmerapy thing going, uh, let's talk about family therapy. Yes. Now, um, family therapy is um, it's a bunch of interventions aimed at the family of uh, someone with schizophrenia. Um, again, this is um, you know in, in response to these high and low EE households. It's typically offered between 3 and 12 months, with at least 10 sessions. Uh, it's to l reduce the level of expressed emotion in the family. Now, study Garrity uh, estimated that the relapse rate for individuals who receive family therapy as 25% compared to 50% to those who receive standard care alone. It involves providing individuals with information about schizophrenia, finding ways of supporting an individual with schizophrenia, and resolving any practical problems, if possible, and should involve patients themselves. Helps overcome the symptoms of schizophrenia where, where patients are suspicious about their treatment as it actively involves them in the process. Family therapy helps build relationships within the households. Therapists encourages family members to listen to each other and openly discuss the problems and negotiate potential solutions together. So it really kind of just helps out everyone by getting the family on the side. Now, uh, family therapy uses a number of strategies, including psychoeducation, which is helping the person and carers understand and better deal with the illness. Now, forming an alliance with the relatives who care for the person with schizophrenia is another one. Reducing the emotional climate within the family and the burden of the care for the family members. Enhancing relatives' ability to anticipate and solve problems. Reducing expressions of anger and guilt by family members. Maintaining reasonable expectations among family members for patient performance and encouraging relatives to set appropriate limits while maintaining some degree of separation when needed. Now, there's a key study that we need to look at, essentially, for this, um, which is Faro et al. 2010. So, uh, again, they reviewed uh, 53 studies um, between 2002 and 2010, conducted in Europe, Asia, North America, investigated the effectiveness of family intervention. Now, studies compared the outcomes of family therapy to standard care. Findings, mental state, overall impression was mixed. Some studies reported improvement in overall mental state of patients compared to standard care, uh, whereas others did not. So again, we're not really sure. Compliance with medication, use of family therapy increased patients' compliance with medication. Social functioning didn't show a lot of improvement on the general, but uh, family intervention did not appear to have really that much of an effect on concrete outcomes, such as living independently or employment. A reduction in relapse and re-emission. There was a reduction in the risk of relapse and a re reduction in hospital emission during the treatment and the 24 months after. So family therapy, therefore, has proven effective in increasing patient compliance with medication, as well as reducing the rate of relapse and readmission during treatment and the two years after. However, not a great deal of impact on social functioning and mental state. Now, um, the studies generally support for uh, the stability of care of family therapy. Uh, so it helps with antipsychotics, decreases relapse. Uh, however, you could say the social functioning mental state not really improved uh, and involves lots of commitment on the part of the family, which they might not actually be willing uh, to do on the whole. Now, um, 
let's look at some evaluations perhaps of uh, yeah again so yeah we could say benefits family therapy is that it helps uh, other family members in addition to the patients uh, Loban et al 2013 50 family studies that indicated intervention with help of relatives 60 percent of these studies reported a positive impact on at least one outcome category for relatives, like coping and problem-solving, family functioning, uh, things like this. It's beneficial as it provides support for the whole family when dealing with schizophrenia. However, researchers concluded that the methodological quality of studies was poor, so a bit difficult to analyze. Um, otherwise, I'm yawning. It's been a long day. The effectiveness of family therapies in terms of improving mental state and functioning has been questioned, Garrity et al. 2018, sorry, 2008, compared outcomes of patients who had experienced family therapy having care or no therapy, findings fail to show any better outcomes for patients given family therapy compared to those who just had simply uh, had carers. Now again, time, it's quite long, 3 to 12 months, all family members involved, lots of engagement, and limits the effectiveness. Effectiveness positive, Faro found an increase in compliance with drugs, slower relapse over 24 months. Negative point of effectiveness, not great increase social functioning, mental health. Appropriateness may not be appropriate for a patient who already has a carer, and it puts a lot of blame on the family. It can create more tension. You know, you knock on the door, you say, you schmucks, you know, the reason he's schizophrenic is because of you. It doesn't go down too well. Now, decreased relapse and respitalization during treatment is a positive point for relapse as well as actually taking the burden off of the family uh, and helping, uh, you know, in terms of uh, their ec uh, economy at, um, at home. Speaking of economy, I use that word sneakily in order to segue to my next point. The token economy, yay. Um, okay, how does it work? Well, positive reinforcement, uh, essentially, is how it works. Primary reinforcers, which are anything that gives pleasure, food, privileges, comfort, removes unpleasant states, reduces boredom. Primary reinforcers do not depend on learning in order to acquire their reinforcing value. A secondary reinforcer doesn't initially have any value, but acquire reinforcing properties as a result of being paired with the primary reinforcers. Example, a token is given out when a patient engages, engages in target behavior. Now, for it to be very effective, it needs to be delivered immediately after the performance of the target behavior. The token doesn't follow immediately, then another behavior, like arguing with a fellow patient, may be performed in the intervening period. And then, you know, that it would reinforce the wrong thing. Now, so these tokens um, need to be assigned a value. So it's repeatedly presented alongside uh, or immediately before the primary reinforcing stimuli. For example, watching a movie. It would process a classical conditioning. Therefore, this exchange value represents a use value. When patients perform the desirable target behavior, um, the clinician awards some tokens. When a token can be exchanged for a variety of privileges and rewards, it's referred to as a generalized reinforcer. The more items or rewards that the token can be exchanged for, the more powerful the token becomes. It's reinforcing targeting behaviors. Uh, the trade during the early stages of the token economy, frequent exchange periods mean that the patient can quickly reinforce and target behaviors 
that increase in frequency. The effectiveness of the token economy date may decrease if more time passes between presentation of the token and the exchange of the reward. So it starts, he basically associates, you know, token means chocolate bar, token means chocolate bar, and then, you know, it's like, stop it, I get it, token means a chocolate bar, and then, you know, you can have more time. At first, if it's like token equals, eh, we don't know, they lose interest. Now, the token economy ward was set up, uh, sorry, I am starting to read a question and not an actual point, but um, yes, so the things that um, essentially they can only really be set up within a um, psychological ward. So evaluations of the token economy is that its difficulties in accessing the, um, the success of it. Now study Comer suggests that the major problem in assessing effectiveness is that studies uh, tend to be uncontrolled. Token economies introduced in the psychiatric ward, typically all patients are brought into the program rather than experienced, uh, you know, control versus experiment group. So it can't really be compared with their past behaviors rather than those with a control group. Um, again, decreases the validity of the token economy treatment and its effectiveness. It's not directly been measured. Credibility of the theory can be increased by analyzing uh, versus a control group. Another issue is that it's less useful for patients living at home or in a community. You know, tokens economy have been uh, effective in reducing negative symptoms for people with schizophrenia, but it's only been shown to work in a hospital setting. This is because within a psychiatric ward, patients receive 24-hour care, better control for staff, and monitor reward patients appropriately. You know, if you're living at home or in a community and only receive treatments a few hours a day, the token method can only be used for that tiny part of the day, limiting the applicability of the token economy system to a broader base of patients outside the psychiatric care. Now, another issue is that a lot of ethical concerns may um, arise, such as um, in order to make the reinforcement uh, effective, clinicians might exercise control over primary reinforcers. Prude, privacy, privacy, access to activities to that alleviate boredom. Um, you know, they may exchange tokens if they display the target behaviors. Now, these ethical concerns may lead to adverse effects in the treatment, such as causing further psychological harm to patients with already low stress mechanisms, which we know can actually lead to um, further issues. <clears throat> Time, token economy is quite quick. Once established, link, token, and reinforcer, it's easy to set up. Effectiveness, studies haven't really analyzed the token economy versus the control. This is Comer's study again. Appropriateness, it's only for psychiatric environments, but hard for external patients to maintain. Relapse, unless maintained consistently, may cause relapse, side effects, ethical issues, um, all which I've just covered. Um, interactionist approach is the final bit of schizophrenia, but with Hashem, I can... I don't know, read and take a nap after this. I've had a very long day. I don't know why. I do apologize, my wonderful people. You deserve to have a peppy and zesty and person in the morning when studying, but uh, unfortunately that is not me today. So, interactionist approach. MZ twins only show 40% concordance of rate of schizophrenia. Keep that in the back of your mind. I wrote it at the top of my page. You keep it in, the, in your mind. It'll fit in later. So the diathesis stress model proposes that schizophrenic is a result of an interaction between biological diathesis and environmental uh, stress, for example, factors. Um, now, family studies suggest that people have varying levels of inherited genetic vulnerability, but um, yeah, so essentially the interactionist 
approach is a lot of this diathesis stress. Now, diathesis, the evidence for being a biological cause of schizophrenia, is that uh, tianari, 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 uh, yeah, I don't, I said it like that, so I don't know, you have some indication how to spell it, et al. 2004, uh, found that monozygotic twins with schizophrenia more likely uh, for others to develop schizophrenia than duozygotic twins or siblings. Adoptive relatives do not share an increased risk of uh, biological relatives. Now, furthermore, evidence for biological studies suggests that biology is not the sole cause of schizophrenia. There's only 40% of monozygotic twins in which one has schizophrenia, the other develops schizophrenia. There's a lot of discordance amongst twins. Now, what is the stress? So we've talked about the diathesis. Now let's talk about stress. Um, now, Varis Varisi et al. Um, 2012 found that children who experienced severe trauma before the age of 16 three times more likely to develop schizophrenia than the rest of the population. Again, uh, Vesos et al. 2012 found that the, um, which was a meta-analysis, found that the risk of schizophrenia is 2.37 times higher in urban than rural areas. However, this is only roughly 2%. Other factors must take a, a role in this. Now, the additive nature, uh, again, this inter interaction between them, is um, that if you have a high genetic vulnerability and a low stressor, you can develop schizophrenia. However, when you have a low genetic vulnerability and a high uh, stressor, you can develop schizophrenia. If you have a low genetic vulnerability and a low stressor, um, not likely to develop schizophrenia. Um, yeah, so again, there are some evaluations of the interactionist approach, mainly within the study of Tineri et al. That, um, yes, so um, one limitation of the original diathesis stress models is too simplistic, multiple genes increase vulnerability, each with a small effect on its own stress can come in many forms, including dysfunctional parenting. However, research uh, researchers now believe that stress can also include biological factors. Houston, uh, 2008, found that childhood trauma was a diathesis and cannabis used as a trigger. Um, hmm. One limitation is that we do not know exactly how diathesis and stress work. Strong evidence of some sort of underlying vulnerability coupled with stress can lead to schizophrenia. However, we don't really understand the mechanisms by which symptoms appear and how both vulnerability and stress produce them. One issue is that the diathesis may not exclusively be genetic. Most diathesis stress models emphasize vulnerability in terms of genetic influence alone, which are assumed to cause neurochemical abnormalities, which increase risk of schizophrenia. However, this increased risk can also result from brain damage caused by environmental factors. Verdoux estimated that the risk of developing schizophrenia in later life for those who experience complications during their birth, prolonged labor, or oxygen deprivation, four times greater than those who experience no complications. Again, it might be due to reasons within the childhood, not just genetics. Uh, okay, I believe that this covers us all of schizophrenia. Yes, it does, question mark. I'm checking the content. Yeah, all right. Ladies and gentlemen, good luck in your exams. Uh, you know, and we'll see you guys on the next episode where we will be covering aggression. 
Uh, all right. This has been lovely having you on the Study Room Podcast. Good luck on your exams. Signing out. <laughs>